Romancing the Dungeon is intended for mature audiences as this show contains adult themes, but like not those kind of adult themes, just some sensitive stuff that some audience members may find upsetting. Content warnings for specific episodes can be found in episode descriptions. You're listening to Romancing the Dungeon, a soft core D&D podcast about heroes navigating their daily lives while looking for love in a world full of peril, monsters and heartbreakers. Aster, as you, you feel your body kind of slowly coming to, to wake. Sleep isn't something that you are entirely in need of. It's more just, well, everybody else is doing it, so I'm going to do it too. What's sort of pulling you out of it uh, isn't that, oh, it's the light, I can, I can sense the sun's rising, or just the, the, the feel of the breeze coming in through the windows in your small little home uh, in the grove. It's the clattering and banging uh, and occasional oof, uh, from downstairs. Like there is a commotion happening downstairs. I guess Aster, he gets up like not reluctantly, just kind of dutifully. Like this is just, he's just, he's kind of used to this. It's probably just Ambrose downstairs making noise again. Um, he will make sure he has his star map flower with him which he keeps on his bedside table and he'll take his like maybe a couple like his notebook and he'll head down and see what the noise is as you pick up your belongings your 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 tools your notes and it is that thing of oh another day uh, and uh what on earth has ambrose gotten himself into again you swoon down the stairs your home is found in the in inside the, in the grove, but you've you've particularly taken up a habitation inside the remains of a large oak tree, and it's your home and your place of study. And as you enter that ground floor, and the study is sort of an open plan area that kind of leads out onto an open space in the grove where you can observe the stars. You find Ambrose buried uh, under charts and paper and scrolls. And just like, you can just about make out one of his brown speckled wings, just sort of like trying to brush everything off of himself. Oh, um, uh, 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 good morning, um, uh, uh, Master Aster. Uh, and he, like, he, like he, he goes to kind of bow, but he, like, he headbutts his shelf. Like, oh, ow, uh, um, uh. I'm looking for I'm I'm looking for the maps that you told me to start studying. Ambrose, please, just settle down. It's I'm glad to see that you are so diligent and early to your studies. Uh, they're over in the shelves on the left, just by the door, uh, top shelf. And he starts to kind of like flounder under the weight of the just because he has like it's. As you survey the study, uh, administration is not Ambrose's forte. And you see that he has pulled out huge tomes. He has pulled out stacks of paper and charts, all of which is kind of toppled over in him. He's emptied about three shelves mm. worth here along this wall. I think Astor begins to kind of vet them in a way, as in like he's just kind of like walking alongside Ambrose and like picking the books that are maybe a little bit too advanced, taking a scroll and a sheaf here and there to be like, no, 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 that's for next week. Uh, and it's this is their kind of usual morning. It's like Ambrose is like, oh, no, I'm going to learn everything today. And then Astor's like, no, 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 you're going to learn these specific things today. Okay. Uh, because there's a very, there's very much like a rhyme and reason to Astor's teachings. Um... He ends up, I'd say, taking about half of the things that Ambrose has found um, and just kind of, like, in his usual kind of grumbly manner, uh, reaches... He's about seven feet tall, Aster, uh, and his ground floor is about eight to nine. Um, he reaches up to the top of one of these shelves and he just plucks a book, um, kind of sheafs through it and gets a little bookmark and places it in the middle and he hands it to Ambrose and he just says this is the morning lesson get to and he kind of leafs through and 
points out a section. Get to about there by the end of this evening and you should be doing good. Uh, Ambrose goes to take the book. Uh, and it is like, like as you were, you know, tidying uh, mm-hmm. away the mess slash unburying your uh, apprentice from the mess uh, that he had amounted over himself, you've kind of, yeah, he, he's, he's, he's able to kind of clamber free and he's helping you kind of put things back mm-hmm. uh, where he thinks roughly they should be. And probably in a couple of hours, you will go back and fix it again. Yeah. But uh, as you hand him the tome, it is that sort of like comical. He takes it and immediately, oh, like he, like he's like he, and you see him like he is, he's, um, he's a small Ara Corcoran man, uh, probably in his mid to late twenties, brown uh, feathers with like just these little flecks of white and little dots of white mm-hmm. kind of like spru- almost like freckles uh, yeah. would be on it uh, kind of across his face and just this gorgeous these gorgeous gorgeous yellow eyes and he kind of he's eyeing the book and he looks up at you what does Aster look like so Aster is about seven feet tall he is a thin kind of wiry bramble of branches and boughs uh he's a tree folk dryad person uh he has a scattering of blue and like dark green kind of like evergreen leaves scattering his body um but he has little beads and dots of like crystallized amber across his body um and he, he also has a very almost permanently stern looking expression just like a really like like a teacher who's just been doing it a little bit too long um <laughs> oops sorry <laughs> jab um he's <laughs> oh no I mean I'm already exhausted no. um so he's he's got this like permanently like furrowed brow in on his face he speaks quite slowly and precisely but you also notice one of the beads of amber in his arm begins to glow as he casts druid craft on the floor of his abode and creates a him to stand the book. Uh, he opens it for with his large, like, kind of spindly hands, uh, opens it to the page and it kind of says, A few of these are practical lessons, so you might need to stand here and look upwards today. Uh, oh, uh, uh. Uh, oh, um, my chair, my chair, my chair. And he drew crafts another little, like, stool behind him. Again, these little pieces of amber flecking to life. Uh, 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 thanks, Master Apprentice. I, uh, I think I left my stool at home. Uh, Don't worry about it. We have plenty here. You hear a, a whistling sound coming from beyond the study into, like, the little kind of kitchenette. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of what Aster would have been using as a living space, he has converted in. It's that thing of, like... Do I really need a kitchen? Yeah. Do I really need it? Like, so even in that small little cubby uh, where there is uh, a few cabinets, a few plates, a few cups, those are predominantly, I would guess, for guests and not yeah. necessarily him. And it's that sort of like, well, one does have to entertain occasionally. Mm-hmm. And you do hear that familiar sound of the um, the kettle whistling. Ambrose kind of just looks up at you. Uh, two cups? Yes. Why not? Uh, and he, having kind of climbed up onto the stool and like looking at the book, hearing that, was like, oh, thank God. And a few moments later, you do, there is kind of a very, very uh, strong, earthy smell. Uh, give me a perception or nature check. Look at me to nature. Okay. I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit more proficient in nature. That's going to be uh, 29. Okay. Yeah, well, just a little bit. A little bit. I might be. Might have picked skill expert. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, the the particular gogo beans that uh, have been ground for this, you know that they were grown in a heavy clay soil. Mm. You know that they grew on the north side of what. And again, it's that thing of like as you're kind of smelling the the aroma, what. What kind of gives notes of sort of sand trees, mm. uh, most likely a desert, and immediately uh, again it's that thing of you drink you drink this coffee quite some time, but it, you can't help. It's almost like kind of a test yourself. Like mm. what notes are you discerning from it? I think I think Astor is a bit of a coffee buff. It's like the one kind of mortal. <laughs> oh my god, there it is. <laughs> thing. It's like the one kind of mortal thing that like 
he's decided it's like that and maybe wine because it's a nature test and it's a test of of natural knowledge yes okay he doesn't really drink it for energy or entertainment he drinks it to tell people about it okay so <laughs> I, and I assume he goes off and like and Abs- if you didn't boil this and instead you did a kind of a slow percolation <laughs> on it this. this is what you'd get he's okay. gonna have like what's oh, I, I i wish i knew like like coffee terminology now for him but no i think i think he does those like notes and things that you described he comments about them to Ambrose and he kind of he's commenting because he likes this kind of coffee he thinks it's interesting and it comes from an interesting part of the world he's not familiar with and I think detecting how the world exists outside of the grove is part of this for him detecting the conditions of something because he's so interested with outside I think if he sees wine grown in a certain climate he thinks that's not like here how do I imagine that to look? It's almost like an exercise for him. But I think he picks the, the coffee and he, however it's poured, and he just kind of smells it and he commends Ambrose on picking a nice, interesting place for this coffee to come from. Yes, yeah, Ambrose has kind of come back and he has like a, a little tray uh, mm-hmm. and your cup uh, is in it. The entire time as you like vanished into your thoughts, like, and it is that sort of like mind palace yeah. of like discerning, like, you know, like what, what like, can I even tell this the, the average temperature based yeah. on all these little things? He's been sitting there the entire time just sipping it. Like he's just and like quite audibly, like in that, like maybe if I make enough noise, it'll snap him back. And you <laughs> and he kind of he he just kind of nods at you and he gives you kind of a little smile and like you can kind of see that his eyes have glassed over a little bit yeah. as he hops up uh, and again he he's looking at the book and he leans over to like a small little side table and he puts the coffee down there. Have I noticed him not looking, not really paying attention to me? Yeah. Is that kind of the usual? It's him kind, that, yeah. It's I that. think towards the end of his rattling, Aster kind of like snaps himself out and just says, Now, Ambrose, you must pay attention to this kind of thing because people might ask you these questions when I am no longer living. And he kind of takes a small sip of the coffee and puts it down and doesn't drink the rest. He just tastes it okay. to, to, to see what it's like. <sighs> Yeah, again, I think it's one of those things that that constant reminder to Ambrose that, like, you need all this knowledge because I'll be dead. Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> He's very much that, like, old granny who's like, well, I could die tomorrow. Yeah. I could die tomorrow. You need to do this. This is my I'll last Xmas. This is my last Xmas. Uh, yeah, this is my last Christmas. But he's very that with Ambrose. And it's kind of... He's, he's a little harsh on Ambrose. I think Ambrose is the only person in the village that he's explicitly harsh towards. Mm. Everybody else, he's like, they don't know. Okay. They don't understand things like I do. But he expects Ambrose to. Yeah, and uh, like Ambrose, it's not that he is disinterested. It's not that he doesn't it's care. It's, it's a lot. And it's the same go-go beans that we've been drinking the last month yeah. and it's the same, <laughs> same lecture yeah. and like Ambrose is like there's only so much that he can feign like ah uh-huh. yeah it, like it is that thing and, and you kind of hear kind of a uh-huh and he's kind of like you see him kind of pulling like, like he's flipping through the pages mm-hmm. and he kind of uh, he's making his notes and it, it is that thing of as you're le- as you kind of lean over him to kind of just and it's not micromanage it's just yeah. checking the work is exemplary. That harshness with Ambrose, he's never seen it. Or he's never taken it as... Harshness. Aster is mean to me. Like He's uh, like, Aster trying to teach me. Yeah. And like, it is important that someone keeps this going. And like, mm. I will have this job and my job will be to pass this on to somebody else. And... It's it's not rare that Aster commends um, uh, Ambrose's work. He, he acknowledges it when it's good. When it's bad, he also acknowledges that. And he just looks over the sheets and he just says, effective notes. And then he just walks and continues his own business. I saw, uh, and he's just, it is that thing, he's now kind of like mumbling to, like he, you, you see his kind of shoulders relax as you mm-hmm. kind of compliment the notes and uh, kind of feeling a little more confident. He kind of just, he's not, he doesn't even look over his shoulder. It's just that thing of like, I'm just going to make some noise, some little conversation as I as I do my work. I saw uh, Cloda in the market this morning uh, with her nana. Yes, she has been reluctant to talk to me, to most people I've seen. But look, I cannot control her. Hopefully we will have some conversation soon. There is that little get-together happening soon. 
Oh, the potluck. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, did you fetch those ingredients for my mooncakes, actually? Uh, maybe if you haven't, maybe we could do that today for your lunch. Um, uh, are you sure you want to make the mooncakes? I always make the mooncakes. I know, and they are <laughs> delightful mooncakes that you always make and bring to the potluck. But maybe... Master, uh, you might consider buying the mooncakes this year? <laughs> Is there a problem with my mooncakes? Your mooncakes? Well, perhaps I shall teach you how to make them and you can improve on this recipe, my pupil. Oh. Do you wish to Im- add to your workload for today? It is already quite busy. Uh, and you can see that Ambrose has... he. It's not that he's speeding through the work yeah but what's kind of in front of him is second nature to him now almost and it is that sort of like uh, he's he's staring at past star charts Mm -hmm. and it's the predictions that uh you made and that the people before you made based on their alignment based on just kind of based on where they found themselves hanging in the heavens and uh, all sorts of like random weather anomalies that would follow these uh, and everything mm. else. A lot of, I'd say a lot of our lessons are repetition on old patterns. And if he ever kind of expresses boredom in like this, Aster will always reiterate to him that these are patterns that continuously repeat themselves and we must know them quicker than we know our names kind of thing. Like he, he, he kind of insists on repetition equals the patterns of the future. Yes, yes, circles and cycles, you're, yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, mooncakes, mm. I could uh, help, maybe, with the mm. baking of the mooncakes. Well, you are quite handy in the kitchen. Uh, yes, uh, we shall still follow my recipe, but yes, you may help. Okay, um, I, uh, well... If you, I mean, you, you know Nana Meadowmoon, she's, she's taken her time in the market. And if you wanted to go out and get the ingredients, sir, I mm. could finish my work here and then prepare the kitchen. That's true. But I think the work you have is a little bit too light. And he like flicks through some of the higher sheets of paper and he pulls out like a couple of... They're not star charts. They are weather patterns this time. They're they're sort of like he keeps a diligent record of what the weather was like on every day and what the temperature was like. And he puts them aside and he, he kind of reaches down beside um, his student and he just says, I need you to make a prediction for me today, actually. Um, I don't often ask, but... I need to, I need a second opinion on the weather for tomorrow. I mean, I already know. But I would like you to give your assertion and see if they line up a little bit. He, he looks at the, he looks at the kind of the charts and they're a little dusty. They're not, you know, they're not, mm. it, it's just thing they just, from where they are poking out, they've kind of gathered a bit of dust. And kind of taking them from you uh, and hearing you kind of ask his opinion or a second opinion. It's not, mm. It's not. I want you to double check to see, I'm checking you to see if you yeah. get the same answer. It's a, I got this answer. I want to see if you can get to that yeah. too. Uh, and it's sort of the working back of it. Um, he, he, ta- he takes them with kind of like pride mm. almost. And you, again, you see him kind of like beam again. And, it's and, not often that Astor would ask this, I think. And I think because he had suggested for... Um, uh, Ambrose to go get the things that Ambrose is like, oh, but I need to finish my lessons. He's like, I'm going to challenge you a bit okay. because I asked you to do something. You are my apprentice. I am not the apprentice here, but I'll go and I'll make it work harder. That's his thought. He he takes the charts and you see him kind of reach for the coffee cup and he, or, yeah, he just knocks it straight back. Cool. He kind of rolls out his shoulders and then he kind of, fl- kind of flutters out his feathers. I think Aster then puts a hand on his shoulder and will cast guidance. Okay. I will roll for Ambrose just to see. Yeah, see what happens. We'll see what happens. But you are going to head out to the market. Mm-hmm. I okay. would say as well, if you're rolling for uh, Ambrose, nature is kind of how using nature as a skill is how 
Aster teaches this. Okay. Because it is looking at weather patterns and star patterns and how to get there. What is your nature proficiency? Like, what's your bonus to nature rolls? Plus 10. Okay, so I'm going to give him five. Cool. So it's that thing of he's an apprentice. He's good. Yeah, but, but he's, he's not, not good. Yeah, he's not there with you. But he has guidance. Yeah. So I will roll. Um, uh, I will head out then. Okay. Well. 17. Nice. Not, not, not so bad for Emrose. Uh, okay. And we will we will deal with that uh, when he when, like, when you kind of return. I the... rolled as if I was going to roll for it and I got a nat 20 and now I've wasted it. <laughs> I feel terrible. <laughs> Do you store these? Uh, no. Can I hold on to this, please? <laughs> you... I, uh, actually, I'm a divination wizard. That was my portent. That was my portent. That was portent. <laughs> you, yeah, kind of leaving your student, leaving the apprentice to figure out, offer their predictions, you gather up a little basket. Again, a cloak, only in that, like, oh, it's just, it's whatever. It's what people wear. Yeah, (laughs) you've seen it. And um, you do, you head out, you head out from your your home. And the the weather in the, the grove today is, as predicted, quite a cool, balmy, sort of day uh you can feel the humidity kind of hanging in the air it's like there is rain to come potentially some form of hail even maybe a kind of a a flurry of snow but there is sort of a a kind of a, a gentle kind of winter's breeze there it doesn't cut uh the bone like it's not it's cold it's fresh it's crisp and the, the ground underfoot is quite soft. Again, it, there has been these on and off kind of sporadic showers, but you can kind of feel and almost taste the air. And it's that sort of winter crispness that kind of catches and lingers. And as you take the short walk from your home uh, on the outskirts of the grove uh, and the little village, uh, you do hear uh, the kind of the commotion from beyond. You hear people going about their day. You pass a small patrol of world guardians, uh, warriors uh, who tend to uh, the nature of the world. They protect boundaries. They uh, they stop any sort of encroachment of the rot. Uh, because he does respect the Grove Guardians, definitely. As you, yeah, exactly. Like, you see them kind of coming in, you, you kind of, yeah, you, you ready yourself. And, like, I mean, uh, Patter Metamoon, the leader of the Grove, and a man that you kind of see as, like, kind of like a brother almost. Yeah. Um, he's recently retired from the Grove Guardians, and they know you. Uh, but it is that thing of you... Um, as you sort of, as you approach them, you're like, okay. And you see that they're, they're, they're not wearing decadent armor mm. and like that. Like it, it's mostly kind of hide and bark, like in places kind of holding, but they, they do carry kind of spears. Uh, that's kind of the one thing that all Grove Guardians train with usually is the spear. And you see that it is the unlikely duo of Terry and Berry, uh, mm. a pair of Harangan uh, twins and flashbacks to your lessons with them uh, when they were but knee high to a grasshopper come flourishing and as you kind of bow they they kind of bow as well but there's like a <clears throat> and they kind of like they're elbowing each other a little mm-hmm. bit like uh, and, and you, you just hear sir as they as you kind of walk past and they are like <laughs> he just doesn't react. He's just like kind of okay. This is they're they're still the same. Yeah, they yeah, yeah. they literally peaked in school. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and they, they they've grown taller. That's about all they've grown. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. As you saunter into uh, the the heart of the village, you you do you do pass a lot of familiar faces, um, some farmers, craft workers, uh, and you do see that they're like across uh, the river and over the, the small bridge and past the uh, the watermill you can make out kind of the little village square and you see the stalls set up uh, with all sorts of matter of goods for sale mostly foodstuffs and as this is happening the other thing you're making out is that preparations are underway for that community gala like the 
yeah, the potluck. And it is, it's this big, big thing and people are, like, you can see like a couple of Grove Guardians are putting up like bunting and there's like a small game area being set up and long tables are being drawn out. This is a big community thing. and people are approaching, no, we're, we are okay for the weather tomorrow. Right? We're, we're not, we don't have to, you, you said now we don't have to be putting up any tents. I mean, it could give rain, but it's not likely until later in the week. And they're like, okay, okay. Uh, The tents are heavy. I would say just have them on hand just in case. But my predictions are rarely wrong. So it's... There's... uh, Yeah, it's a... um, An Aura Corcoran man. Again... uh, you think a distant cousin of Ambrose's? Uh, you're not. You're not quite certain. Mm. He has uh, kind of similar coloured plumage, much more kind of sharper features and tall. And yeah. where Ambrose is uh, short and stout, this particular chap is much broader, uh, more muscular. Uh, mm. There's a reason Ambrose isn't in the Grove Guardians yes. uh, and is in, you know in schooling a lot. Yeah. Uh, but as you kind of like survey the uh, the stalls and you are looking for your uh, ingredients for your moon cakes. You do hear a bit of a commotion coming from beyond the central hub here in the, at the square, and like just down one of the small little side streets. And it doesn't take much uh, to recognize Nana Metamoon's voice because uh, it's gotten like two octaves slightly higher. <laughs> and as you sort of lean over, you do see that she's giving uh, she's giving a, a young turtle woman a, a bit of a talking to. Uh, about the cost of the appleberries, uh, and back in her day, uh, they used to cost uh, a copper piece for yeah. a bushel, and you're out here now charging me five copper pieces for a quarter of a bushel. Uh, the other thing, and you, you see that the tour woman is just like, again, kind of retreating a little into her shell. Like Nana Metamoon is known for her lectures. Yeah, next to her standing rather sort of sheepishly and uh, holding a basket, also trying to sink into herself. Uh, you see Cloda Metamoon. Yeah, I think Aster would probably try to approach the two, having not had a lot of... Ha- having wanted to speak to Cloda since she arrived, but not being given the chance, but also not being too pushy. Yeah. It's never been more than kind of a, hello, uh, how are you? Yeah. Kind of the polite pleasantries that... Uh, Cloda and you have shared in the couple of weeks that she's been home. Mm-hmm. Today is no different, Aster, as you have picked up the few bits and pieces that you need. But uh, appleberries, they might be nice uh, in a mooncake. I think he, he looks at any sort of like berry or fruit and just kind of thinks like they're all like not as interesting as like the floral notes he's going for. I think that's my probably why they're not very popular. Okay. Is because he picks an arrangement of florals for the flavors because he thinks they're more like interesting. They're, he wants, (laughs) like they probably don't taste good and that's fair. But I think he, I feel like Ambrose is probably just going to add sugar. (laughs) He's going to do anything with them. Um, But he wants them to be a conversation rather than food. Got it. They're mostly for conversation. And um, he loves them because he enjoys the floral textures and the, the bouquets and, and talking about like the conditions that these flowers that I've used as ingredients grew up in. It's very that. And the strains that came together to make that one particular exactly. uh, blossom. Yes, I guess. Exactly. And it is. Very that. You have, you have, we'll say in the basket, like, aside from like flour and, and butter, yeah. there are a couple of little glass vials of like that essence of particular flowers. Perfect. If you can find like a florist that sells like full bouquets as well maybe one bouquet of something like something blue something kind of maybe like maybe like pansies those blue and black yes. kind of pansies just a little, a little handful of those because they'll be part of part of it because i it, he wants them to be this kind of bluish shade okay um also he wants to like garnish it with them too. got it i love it who doesn't love a blue moon cake <laughs> exactly exactly uh, wait blue moon uh, no, i think that's alcohol <laughs> yeah we're we're gonna say that you have you kind of you've collected the bits and pieces that you need you know the, the kind of the the recipe in mind mm-hmm. and the vision in mind of what it is that you want and as you sort of step uh down that small little side road the the turtle woman kind of looks at you pleading and Cloda kind of locks eyes with you and you see that she kind of leans down into Nana Metamoon and Nana 
Nana and Cloda are, there's no mistaking uh, mm-hmm. the, uh, the relation between them. Yeah. Um, certainly fine. Age is the, the big separator, but uh, both are satyrs. Uh, mm-hmm. Both kind of carry themselves with kind of a, a, a sort of a soft strength. Nana is a little bit more kind of hunched over these days and her hair is sort of wispy tangles of grey and white and you can see the odd fleck of what would have been like a deep muddy brown Mm -hmm. still sort of there but by and large just lost in this wiry tangle of like just grey locks that just dangle over her her ram horns and the other thing is she has earrings for days like uh, and like the amount of things that jangle from the ends of her horns, from the tips of her ears. You hear her before you hear her voice even. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Bracelets, like, literally up to her elbows. Like, she's a jangly lady. Cool. And Cloda leans down and kind of whispers something. Do I see her mouth? No. Okay, uh, she's it, hiding. Yeah. Aster is observant, by the way. I have the observant yeah. feature, so... Um, he would be curious, but he wouldn't want to, he wouldn't pry, but if he does see her mouth move, he would like to read her lips. She kind of, she, and again, it's not that she turns her back to you, it's just that mm. she leans into her grandmother uh, and like, her face is kind of covered just by The Nana. jungle. Yeah. <laughs> all that jungle. Uh, but Nana kind of looks up at her and like it said, like, through these very, very thick, heavy glasses, just sort of like, gives her looking at her like, huh? And you see that Clodagh mm. takes the basket hands some money to the total woman and takes uh, a quart bushel of appleberries. Mm-hmm. Uh, she gives you kind of a, a sort of a reluctant smile. Uh, it, like she like she acknowledges you and she kind of waves and then she heads around the back of the building up a side road and Nana kind of just turns to look up at you. I think he would just like curtsy back at her a little bit like he did with the real variants because he knows she's not prepared to, to speak right now. Just kind of Oh, Aster, if I do that to you, if I, if I return that now, I'm not getting back up in that position. Uh, uh, oh, um, don't worry, Nana, that was more so a gesture at um, um, we haven't spoken since, but I just said it. Oh, you, 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 you know Clodagh now, you, you, you know her? Yes, she's perhaps a little shy for being home. Ah. Aster, now, just a bit more than that. You, you know young people, and she's kind of like, uh, she, you see her kind of crook her right arm. Mm-hmm. Uh, walking old lady home, my bones and my knees. Of course, of course, but did you settle with this wonderful merchant? Oh, Clodagh paid her, I suppose. Oh. Well, uh, if if they hadn't been settled, Aster yeah. would have. Paid. Uh, yeah, and the, and the tortle woman is like, yeah, yeah, no, she 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 did things. Um, I threw but, in like a, a few extra appleberries. <laughs> I'm right, you are. Um, as as uh, Nana turns away, Aster will hand like another five copper, just and just kind of like give a knowing look. Okay, can you believe it? Can you? Uh, my day, a full bushel of appleberries, a copper piece, and they're up gouginous, gouging. Well, I don't really have a professional opinion on this. They seem to be... Oh, I bet you couldn't predict that, could you, huh? <laughs> well, I mean, they're planted in the same conditions. They're probably the same apples. Uh, but inflation, Aster. That gets us all in the end. That and death. That this is true. Well, we all have our fail-safes for death. I have my young apprentice and you have your wonderful family. And my plan of never dying. Well, yes, there's that too. I have a question about our young guest. I predicted that she would leave when she did. I didn't say it to anyone because I believed it was her prerogative. However, I did not see her coming back. That is one thing I failed to. Damn it, I should have put the money on it with you. Uh, you should have. You would have uh, accrued quite a bit of interest at this stage. Uh, enough to pay for a bushel of appleberries, apparently. Oh, uh, uh, yes, apparently. But uh, I have worries about her return. I, and as you're probably used to me talking about, I have worries about... Just talking. Uh, true. Uh, 
I think he suffers Nana, yeah. as in, like, she can say what she wants yes. to him in yeah. a way. It's like that granny who says whatever, yes. and that's exactly who she is. Yeah. But I think if it was anybody else, it would be a, how dare you talk to me yes. like that? But yeah. it's Nana, so it's okay, yeah. because this is how they've always spoken to yeah. each other. Uh, and he just says, Nana, I will be cut. I fear the rot. And I fear Clodagh's return might be some sort of omen. Good uh, or bad, I'm unsure. Master. Sweetheart. And you see, she's uh, she's asked you to walk her home. Yeah. She's very much leading you, uh, like, the whole way. And the, the Metamoon's house is... I mean, you passed it coming into the square, yeah. coming over the, the southern bridge. You heard her, kind of, we'll say, at the north of the square... All you'd have to do is round those buildings to the <laughs> west and you would be right smack at, yeah. outside the... Med- it's, it's a five-minute jaunt. Yeah, she wants a conversation. Yes, she's leading you further north, up past the watermill and the northern bridge. I feel like for Aster, that's not unusual with mm-hmm. Nana. She's like, oh, walk me home is uh, is code for let's chat. Yes. Uh, and you see, like again, people are kind of nodding at the both of you and, uh, uh, you know, they're saying hello to Nana and, mm-hmm. you know, can't wait to try her um, appleberry fritters. At the, I can't give him that What an appleberry fritter. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, she just, she's, the pair of you kind of find yourself standing uh, on the bridge, just a small little wooden bridge. You can hear the, the sound of the water just slowly uh, streaming past. Master. Love. You can predict the weather. You can predict the stars above. Like nobody else. That's... Glad you have a talent. But... And she kind of... She kind of lets go of your arm a little bit. Mm -hmm. And she she turns to kind of face you. She looks up at you. And again, her gaze kind of matching yours. And it's quite like... For all her sharpness and for all her edge, she's quite a soft little old lady. Um, And she takes the glasses off uh, and she kind of wipes them on the little pinny apron and she kind of puts them back up on her her face. You can't predict someone's heart. Mm, Yes, but I can try. Look, I have seen things in people's futures I have seen intentions I have seen paths upon paths Clodagh is a bit of a wild card I've seen things for her that I see greatness in her and I know and I always have and I have told you this from the time she was a little ankle biter I've seen great things for her. I worry that she's back and that I didn't see this coming. I fear something greater. Look, I'm going to do some readings. I'm going to divine some things. Of course, I always do. But I just said I would tell you my worry. Those are a lot of worries, Alistair. It comes with the territory. I'm not going to tell you not to look. You've always been curious. A little too curious, but... Listen. And she's kind of... She's walked away from you now, like she's kind mm-hmm. of crossed the other side of the bridge. In all that searching you're doing... Don't forget to stop and look around you. Mm. And also, if you if you happen to be divining some stuff, would you let me know who's going to win the pie-eating contest? Because I've got a couple of coppers. Of course, just for you. And she kind of, she, she just kind of smiles. It'll be all right. Ah. Yes, it will be. It always is. Exactly. 
I think Aster like bemoans this part of the conversation. If this is like the end of the conversation, he's he's used to Nana comforting him like this about any dark omens he reads, bad weather patterns, all this kind of stuff. But he knows she just doesn't really want to talk about it. The the dark things he's seeing that she doesn't like. There's always this like, no, it'll be fine. Kind of, no, 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 it's, it's going to be fine. And he's like, kind of, he wants her to talk about it, but he's like, I'm not going to force her. Yeah. You see that she, like she, she, she kind of, she gives you a, kind of a, like a very similar, like her smile is the same as Clona's. Like they, mm. they do have the, like, they were just the way, the way her mouth kind of shapes. Um, and there, there's a sincerity to it that like, she doesn't want you to worry. Yeah. Uh, of you are a worrier. I think even though he does bemoan this part of the conversation where he would wish she would shoulder the burden a little bit, he is always comforted by her. Mm. Like, regardless of how worried he is, he, to speaking with Nana, even if it's just a pat on the back, and I don't worry, he does always feel a little mm. better for it. Now, you didn't see me, and I didn't see you. And you see that she's sort of fishing something out from under her, like, like, like she's wearing a kind, of a, like a kind of a soft, fluffy cloak, and she's fished out like a bundle in a knapsack. And she just taps her little nose and she's heading towards the the Grove Guardians. Building. Can I can I roll insight to see if I kind of know what she's getting at yeah. here? I feel like this is just typical Nana shite that I put, like, figure it out. <laughs> typical Nana shite. Typical Nana. Uh, that's going to be a 19. <sighs> You've, you haven't said anything. You had suspected and you confirmed. A couple of weeks ago, the Grove Guardians came across uh, a young half-elf woman mm. in the grove, like lost in the wilds, uh, injured and sort of dazed, very, very confused. And the grove didn't outright reject her. Uh, she was lost, certainly, yes. But uh, in the way that anyone that comes here, anyone that is of, um, anyone that the grove doesn't feel is of pure heart or worthy. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's kind of one of those things of like, oh, the grove can sense your spirit. Yeah. And whether that's your heart, your soul, your intentions, whatever it might be, the grove is a secret place. This, this little village that you have, the wilds beyond it are almost alive. They, they react to the weather. They react to the citizens of the grove. They keep them safe. And in return, the people of the Grove, the Grove Guardians, protect the woods and the wilds from those who would do it harm and from the rot, a pestilence that has blighted the land for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. A couple of weeks ago, some Grove Guardians, while on a patrol, came across a half-elf woman lost in the wilds, injured, confused and dazed. She attacked them. But they were able to subdue her, mm-hmm. barely. But she was imprisoned and has been imprisoned in the Grove Guardian's headquarters, just on the outskirts uh, to the northwest of the, the centre of the village. You had suspected that Nana had been visiting uh, this, this young woman. You had even divined it. And yes, the visitor has been visited. Mm-hmm. Now, with your own eyes, you see that Nana is not just visiting, but she seems to be bringing her, bringing her lunch. And she does, she saunters off uh, uh, like as if it, it, like she's trying to be stealthy about it, but it's also a thing of, I'm old and no one can touch me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Aster like brushes it off. Aster like knows full well that like he'd already kind of predicted this. He'd already kind of looked at this. And he's like, she's going to do this regardless of what I say. So I can't do anything to stop her. I'm going to let her go. <laughs> okay. Is there anything else that Aster wants to do in the village or? Um, I think Aster would like to maybe pick something up. I think he's going to pick up a different coffee okay. for um, himself and Ambrose. Just for the fact that he realizes that he's taught this same coffee for like probably close to 20 days. Okay. And he's like, I should probably do something a little bit. We should probably, I should probably teach him another one. 
he might pick up a, a bottle of wine as well for the for the occasion. Uh, again, he's going to try and pick the one with the most floral bouquet and the weirdest kind of wine he can find. Okay, give me uh, just give me a roll of a, a d20, and you can add your proficiency bonus to it. Like it's not going to be cool. Uh, that is going to be a twenty three. Okay, that twenty. Yeah, you. <laughs> You fucking know him. Yay. Wait, yeah, <laughs> shopping. Non-rolls and shopping. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Woo. Are you listening to Romance of the Dungeon? Uh, <laughs> Where all of our natural ideas are shopping. <laughs> shopping. Uh, unless you're... Uh, looking for Sam. Unless you're Sam doing the lucky dip. Yes. Then no. Yeah. <laughs> then it's not one. <laughs> uh, you, yeah, you uh, you follow kind of... Taking your time. Kind of like... It's, it's going to take Ambrose a little while to kind of work back through those charts anyway. And... I guess to sort of maybe even reflect on the interactions with Cloda, what Nana has said, you sort of, you kind of loop the village. Yeah. Uh, North Bridge down to the South Bridge again and enter into the market. And yeah, you find a, uh, a it's from Southern Galeshire. Uh, again, there are several merchants that do uh, travel to the Grove and sell wares buy wares and bring them further afield mm-hmm. um, and you have you've found quite a an interesting sort of uh, vintage bottle it again the the seller assures you that it is quite a floral cool. uh, sort of aroma that exudes mm. and lingers on the palate but not to be put off by the sort of blast of hazelnuts that you get as well and that they complement the bouquet perfect the hunt for gogo beans, again, you check a couple of stalls. Yeah. And you're, again, it's one of those things of, you find those same beans. You mm. find, the, and it's, no, I don't want those. I, I, I trust them different. You land on McGucket Gogo juice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and there's a picture of a really happy looking dwarven man in a 10 gallon hat giving him a wink and a thumbs up. And underneath you just see Jess tested, I can prove it. And yeah, it's just, they're, they're small little cloth bags of, cool. these, uh, of these beans. I think he'll pick up those beans, but he's also going to pick up like various roots, like ginger, ginseng, all those kind of like, any like of those like roots and spices and stuff that are associated with energy. And he's like, well... These people make their little go-go beans. I'm sure I could concoct some sort of energy, like, juice. Okay. Uh, but he's trying to pick, like, local stuff so he can, like, when he does taste it, he can talk about the weather that happened during these things. So Little conversation starters. Exactly. That's that's all food, because he doesn't need to eat. He photosynthesizes and, like, gains nutrients from the ground. Yeah. So food is not... Food is nothing if not for conversation for him. I think maybe kind of growing up in and around the Metamoon household, maybe Aster learned that food is such an integral part yeah. to flesh people. Uh, yeah. Is that, is that like, he, like... He understands that most other races of humanoids need to eat to live. Yeah. But he does things a little differently, but he also... He learned to eat when they ate, but it never gave him the same sustenance. It, he just did it as... To be, to be doing it. It's the yes. same reason he puts on his cloak every day. It's the same reason he goes to sleep. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's custom that yeah. other people do, so he fits in to do He does it to fit in. Right? Yeah. Uh, and I, yeah, I, having kind of picked up, again, a couple of these, like, uh, roots mm-hmm. and even strong herbs, you head back to your study. When you do, you see a couple of things. Ambrose has left a note. Mm. Uh, he has been summoned home. Oh. He has left the charts, but he has questions okay. and he's tidied the kitchen for you to go about preparing. But he will see you tomorrow at the potluck. I, I instinctually leaf through his work and make sure that it's correct. I'm sure, like, how do I find his work? The work is exemplary. The work okay. is, um, the work is top notch. Like, it, it, it's, it, it's as you would expect it. But... There's something, there's a variant in his work that you hadn't in yours. Hmm. And while the weather is accurate, uh, Ambrose has gone, I mean, for most people it would be one step further, but for Aster, it's, no, I expect you to do the extra credit. It's not extra credit, you just do it. He's gone and taken the weather predictions and he has mapped it back towards constellations. Okay. Uh, And there's something in his that 
you had maybe thought was there, but it wasn't. Oh. Yeah. I think Astor sees the work and knowing his student and knowing the guidance he'd given and knowing Ambrose's diligence, seeing that the work is correct is going to um, try to, I guess, look at his work versus uh, the work that he's done and try and fill in that space. Okay. You, again, one word catches your eye uh, in his work and kind of what your thoughts were as well. And this is what's going to preoccupy Aster between now and the potluck. But you will be able to uh, work on, because I assume Aster's going to be more consumed with the... Absolutely. Because what gets your attention is the Amantes constellation. And with that bundling up your work, you set about mapping your own divination. Starflower in hand, you start to consult the charts. Yeah, my codex. Yeah, and we will leave it there. Okay, spooky. Cool. You've been listening to Romancing the Dungeon with Eilish, Apollo, Dahi, Tendai and Ben. This is Grove is in the Heart, a special intro into season three of our campaign. I'm Declan and I've been your Dungeon Master. We're back in two weeks time for the next episode. Until then, do check us out on social media at D8 Dungeon. If my calculations are correct and this episode is out when I think it is, which should be the 23rd, then that means this weekend we will be at AdventureCon in Galway. And I'm going to be running three games and two panels. Amber, who plays Hephaestus in Romance the Dungeon, is going to be handling our stall where you will be able to get your hands on some merch finally and we will be doing lots of other bits and pieces so if you are around uh, and you are heading to AdventureCon do drop by and say hi Uh, some of the other team will be around as well one last thing to mention before I go Uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast whether it's on Spotify Google Apple, wherever wherever you are listening to your podcasts we would love if you could leave us a five-star review until then On the next episode, take care, mind yourself. Bye-bye. So those mooncakes, we will be rolling at disadvantage. (laughs) Sure, cool. They're going to be awful. (laughs) They're going to be terrible.